Welcome to the podcast series about our textbook, Indigenous Education in Australia, Learning and Teaching for Deadly Futures, published by Routledge. This podcast series is hosted by Marnie Shea and Rhonda Oliver. We are the editors of this book, which is a collection of chapters authored by Indigenous and non-Indigenous educators and researchers on a variety of topics on Indigenous education. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land that this podcast is recorded on and the lands of the peoples where listeners are tuning in from today. In this podcast series, we explore the chapters with authors, providing listeners and readers of the text the opportunity to hear authors yarn about their chapters and provide further insights about some of the suggested practice implications on their topics. It's Marnie here, and today I am yarning with Arnie Denise Proud. It is an absolute privilege to have you on the podcast today, Arnie Denise. Thank you so much for sharing your time and knowledge with us today for this podcast series. Arnie, would you mind introducing yourself who you are, who's your mob, and where you're from. My name's Denise Chambers-Proud, or I like to put the Chambers in there because I was born on Waka Waka country, and I always recognise the Waka Waka people because that's showing respect to where I was born, and that's Sherberg. And my grandfather um, uh, was from uh, Kuki Imchi, Kuki Yalanji, up, up north, Kuki Yalanji, um, Yalanji, sometimes people say that. And Granny was from Koa Country, uh, which is our Winton area. Uh, my mother was a stolen generation and she came from, um, we're saying the St. George area, the Camilleroy area. And Dad, you know, he was born up in Cairns. So um, we also recognise, because he was born up near Cairns, uh, but uh, connection also to Yoruba because and grandfather were there a long time ago. Yeah, so that's, and I'm the youngest of 10. Thanks, Arnie. You have a, a very extensive background in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander education. Could you please share with us some of your experiences and your journey? I first started the Kindercraft course when I was actually 15, turning not quite 16 at the time in Brisbane. And that was at the City Hall in, in Brisbane. And came down on a careers, you know, a visit. Uh, a lot of us from Sherbert came down to see certain jobs. And I, when I went up to the City Hall and saw Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander girls or working with our children in early childhood, I found that's what I wanted to do. And it was good to see our people too in those sort of roles. So I did that for a year and then I went back you work with children all day and you attend classes at night and it was a kindercraft course and then I went back to Sherberg and in those times I was bonded because that was in in the late 60s and I started the kindy in Sherberg um, when I was sort of 16 turning 17. So, uh, you know, big responsibility. And then um, my background actually has been in early childhood with the mobile kindies, working for Creation Kindergarten Association, visiting centres, talking to educators about how to incorporate uh, uh, Aboriginal culture into their programs and how to use resources uh, from our communities and, and involve our families and our children to understand our children. Because as you know, uh, in that time, a lot of people didn't know about how to, um, you know, just involve Aboriginal children in preschool. 
absolutely were missing out, and that, and I think they're still missing out to this day. Yeah, so I've, I've had a long history in, in early childhood education and then working in youth detention centres and stuff. And I had a little bit of experience also living in Denver, Colorado. My daughter Monique was born there and and I worked, just voluntary work, in a, a childcare centre in Denver and mainly with African-American children. I worked in the, in the prison system and I found it very rewarding. And as you know, we were losing a lot of our people inside jails and it was a tough time and I sometimes was challenged by men to be working in correctional centres. But I had some experience working in the TAFE system and then working with our street kids and uh, running programs and I decided I was asked by TAFE actually to go into Boggle Road Prison and then I volunteered my time with the women in prison and also running life skills programs and uh, and addressing some of those issues like sexism, racism. And and as you know, the high percentage of our people inside jails and youth detention, I also worked in the youth detention centres, but I loved doing the programs. Mm. You know, I really enjoyed working with our people inside. But it was a very, very tough time, as you know, because we were losing a lot of our people inside jails and we... We still do to this day. The incarceration rates is appalling in this country for our people. It is. And one of the the things that um, has always inspired me was your ability to implement change and implement support for our mob in prison. And also, I remember you telling me about, um, you know, embedding and creating cultural programs in an education setting within a prison. And I think that's absolutely phenomenal when you consider what was happening at the time. And I'm just wondering if you can share with us the sorts of things that enabled you to to do those programs under such tough conditions? It was hard as a ritual woman going in. Mm. Uh, I remember my first class inside Boba Road Prison. You know, you're not only put down by other people, you're put down sometimes. I know working with men, but I'm lucky. I come from a very, very strong family. All my brothers and my dad and my grandfather, they were all in the police area. Mm. And I, 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 observing, observing my father in Sherbrooke, you know, sleeping in his uniform, um, in, in bed and, um, sleeping in his uniform, he was always on call and, and he always supported the community. And I, I watched how my mother and father worked with people in community and just treating people with respect. No matter where, where that, what background. I enjoyed going in. I remember the 25 men I had in class that first time in Boggle Road actually threw everything at me. But um, in the end, I just said, I'm not leaving. So, mm-hmm. you know, I did nearly 20, 20 years inside jails. And mm-hmm. um, I liked the challenges. It was tough at times, but I felt our culture was not being talked about. Um, the issues, you know, some social issues in, in our community weren't being addressed. Mm. And we started a, a cultural centre inside the Arthagori Correctional Centre, you know, bringing our elders in to work with our, our men and also bringing guest speakers in to work with our women and 
uh, doing their artwork and doing their life skills and talking about, you know, how they feel, how they, and just feeling supported because yeah. it's not us to, it's not for us to judge what they're in for. It's, yeah. it's for us to be there and be a, hey, do whatever we can as an educator, as you know, even with children that come into a classroom, try not to prejudge. You know, and I think a lot of educators, I hate to say this, but sometimes educators do. They may look at the clothes they wear or the family they're from or the community they're from. And and that child, you know, they're marked straight away Mm. without sitting down and talking and showing utmost respect with each other. And I think as an educator inside jails, I always... I think for you to become a really good edu- um, or an educator, you, you've got to you've got to disclose things about yourself mm. so people learn to trust you in a in a group situation. It's no use going in there just because you might have all the degrees in the world, and then as you know, with our people, I don't like hierarchy where um, you're not sitting down and sharing with respect when you're you're coming into a group. That's why my parents always taught me, you know, try not to prejudge people. But if somebody offers offers their hand out to you or smiles at you or be kind to you or have utmost respect, then, you know, it's nice for you to give that back. And before we judge anybody, try walking in their shoes or think about... Like I say, the word Najumbari Ganan Ganan. Think of someone else mm. instead of thinking of self, 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 and coming in and thinking you're you're just the most important person in the room. Everyone in your class, everyone in your in that room is important. Yeah, no matter who they are. I've had the privilege of, um, you know, being mentored by you and learning from you. And, you. and I always remember those words, Annie. They're very powerful. Thank you. Thank uh, you. You taught me a lot too. Yeah. Well, I think the world needs to to really sit and listen to, to these points that you're making, especially in te- the teaching profession because it, it's about children and it's about young people and it's a human-based mm. profession and I think sometimes – this discipline gets caught up in, you know, how to assess students and, uh, you know, all the mechanics of teaching rather than really um, thinking about what it means to work in relationship, authentic relationships with students. And in your chapter, you know, you, you, you and Anne spoke about that really clearly. And so it is really important for teachers to know themselves, um, Arnie, as well, isn't it? Oh, they've got to know themselves. Mm. It's and, and and the thing is, too, when you mix with other people and not just in your own little, oh, I hate to say it, in your own little class or your own little, you know, what I've tried to do is mum, mum and dad have always said to me, to learn about men, you need to mix with men. To learn about women, you need to go and mix with women. If you want to learn about children, then you need to mix and mingle. Mm. And, and, and be authentic and, hey, learn from children too. Yeah. And sometimes um, instead of uh, getting it all from a book, sometimes we have to go and experience these things and put yourself in someone else's shoes for a change instead of 
from judging people. Mm-hmm. And I think um, some educators really need to come down from their, you know, their, you know, high levels or whatever it is and just sit and mingle and, and mix. Because that, Dad and Mum used to, when we used to come down to Brisbane, you know, and I think I've written about that in in the, one of the chapters there, you know, cultivating empathy, mm. thinking and being outside comfort zones. Yeah. That is so important. Dad and Mum, we'd all go to Musgrave Park, we'd sit there. Dad never forgot about his old mates he went through school with, even though, you know, and he'd take off his coat, he'd take off his shoes, he'd give them things like, you know what I mean? And we'd all have to sit there as children with them virtually all day if we had to. Mm. And and it was just lovely, just observing my parents sitting and conversing and talking and sharing and the laughter and the, Mm. you know, it was just, I learned so much from that. And I thought, you know, they're not prejudging them just because they're in the streets or whatever. They never forgot about them. Every time they came down to Brisbane, mm. that's where we went. It was always a sharing and, and caring and thinking of someone else. There's always someone less fortunate than ourselves. Yeah. So, yeah. Annie Denise, you know, you're a phenomenal educator, researcher, author, presenter, um, but you're also an absolutely wonderful artist and you are the artist who did the front cover for our book and I'd like to thank you again for um, for doing that artwork for us. It was very special that you did it first and foremost, but it couldn't have been more suitable for for what the book was about, which is strengths-based and future-orientated in looking at positive change around Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander education. Ani, do you want to tell us a little bit more about some of your artwork and different projects that you've done? Yeah, I've had a few uh, published uh, because normally when I'm thinking of something, I like to put it down, as you know, in a in that art form, you know, mm. and just express it that way. Because sometimes I'm not so good at it, maybe at writing it down. And as you know, we have all different ways of expressing ourselves, don't we? Yeah. And same with children. And I think we have to we have to remember that um, when we're working with our children that. We express in so many different ways, and of course, it's my it's my place where I can just relax. and And a lot of our children too, and our and our people are very creative, and they're creative by putting it down either in song or dance or a story or sharing their um, their knowledge that way too, and putting it down. and And I did that a lot when I was working with children. Is you know, letting them express it in different ways. That's what I also found inside the jail, because if you've got a big ca- a canvas there, you know, we can talk about all sorts of issues and having a canvas where we can all just then express it on, on, the, on the canvas, which was, which was really good, which was great. And that's my family are like that. You know, we all sort of express it in different ways. Yeah. I love painting and, and drawing and doing crafts, as you know. <laughs> but I enjoyed doing the cover and I thought the black and white uh, was good too to um, to do that painting that way. Mm. Sometimes I've sometimes depicted, sometimes with 
some educators, it's it's too straight for our people, you know. Mm-hmm. The lines are too straight. And, and what I love about sometimes our thinking, Aboriginal ways, is, you know, there's many winding paths and learning on that road. Mm-hmm. And we need to bring non-Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people on that road with us that way. And then we also need to learn... Uh, also from the non-Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander people too, their ways of thinking and but coming together and sharing that. We've got to sit down and talk about things. If we've got a child in school that that needs to be supported, then we need to come together on that. Mm. What's the best thing to do, Wait, What's the best way to work with this particular child? And I'm just, I'm hoping that's changing. You you would have a better idea with that, Marnie. Mm. But um, I think it is changing. But learning from the families, the pe- people who are caring for that child and the community. And I think more educators need to go into community more. They mm. need to immerse themselves in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. They need to sit and listen and learn from the people rather than uh, I don't like the dictating and telling us uh, sometimes. I think we, if, if we do it together, that child has a better chance if parents are included or grandparents or the caregivers of that child is knowing that they're supported within yeah. that school, yeah. school-based learning yeah. Annie Denise the final question for our yarn today is about uh, reimagining about a better future for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander education so I wanted to ask what your vision is for excellence in Indigenous education. Yeah just thinking um, knowing more about um, understanding the family and community yeah. Especially where that child is from, knowing knowing about their identity, self esteem, mm. um, all that identity stuff to me, and and sometimes I've worked with children too. Don't they don't know where they're from, and because of our stolen generation, uh, but connecting people back to community, families, and now there's a few quite. Uh, places where people can find out a bit more yeah. uh, and trying to, to make them feel proud of who they are and, and, and also the education system too has to understand, you know, past histories of what happened. Mm. I mean, it's no use blocking it out. We have to talk about it. If we want our children to achieve excellence, then we've got to start setting a standard high too for our children. Don't think that they're dumb or, you know, they can't do something. As you know, they might get it a different way. I'll just give you an example. Like when my daughter was learning Japanese, she used to always draw symbols. Mm. Draw, Monique would draw the symbols. And actually one of the educators said, oh, you know, Monique's not listening, she's constantly drawing. But I said, that's how she takes in the knowledge. And you know me too, Marnie, when I go to meetings, I'm constantly drawing. But that's my way of taking in what you're saying. And Monique did extremely, she did better with, with Japanese once I explained that to the educator. So don't think the child is just 
mucking around and, you know, we've got to understand there's different ways for children to learn too. Yeah. And, um, but you have to set a, a standard and you also have to talk to parents non-judgmental way and dictating instead of dictating to a parent, asking them what's the best thing they think because I still believe, you know, the caregivers, the parents that have worked with the children before, they're the, they're the first teachers. That's the first teachers, yeah. as you know. And, and and being raised in a community, those people know that child. They know their behaviour. They know things about them. So it's up to us, too, to get out of our comfort zones and make sure we're seen in community. Uh, build up a trust and a relationship with families so that we're all looking after that child, nurturing the mate, not just from one way, but from many ways. I don't know if that helps, but I mean, I want to see more of our people like you, Marnie, you know, that are in universities, but also not forgetting, like you have never forgotten your people and your community Mm. and your family that some people get into these positions of power or they think it's excellent and they totally forget about who put them there, really. Mm. Their family, their community. I say this quite openly. I'm not real keen on bureaucrats, uh, but I'm finding sometimes some of our people are getting into these positions of power where they're looking down on their own, own community and families and I don't like that. I think we should be all equal no matter what so I want us to think also of our old people with the knowledge of our culture and and their identity that they've passed on to us and the laws that don't underestimate our uncle who's got all those abilities or aunties they've got those abilities but they may not have their degrees but those they should be still recognized a for what they have yeah. And that cultural knowledge is vital as far as I'm concerned, uh, for helping our people with their identity and feel feeling um self worth and, and proud of who they are. Proud of who they are. Yeah. Absolutely, Arnie. And I think the broader community can learn a lot from our old people and those knowledges too. And and it can be because when we have knowledge we're supposed to share it and and, and learn from each other, but sometimes people hold on to this, you know, like sometimes in the white system or mm. the non-Aboriginal system, they, or, or, you know, it's my knowledge, you know, it's my, you know, we should, so the mm. children get a wealth of knowledges from a lot of different people, yeah. you know. Hey, yeah. I, I, I want to I mix with, a lot of different people from all different backgrounds, so I'm enriched. Yeah. We're enriched and you learn so much from other people. Mm. But I think one thing I would like to say as to educators is get out of your comfort zones, try and go along to our, our functions in the community. I know COVID's bad at the moment, like that we can't do these things. But, um, you know, NAIDOC weeks, and, and there's a lot of stuff now, mm. you know, be involved in reconciliation, 
try the death and custody recommendation, look at those things. People are looking at treating now and, you know, I mean, really immerse yourself and, and read a lot of books and have resources that are, are written by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. That's how we enrich ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I try and learn from other people too, from as many people as I can. And um, we've got to be sitting down more, eh, Mum, and just um, sharing, sharing and learning, listening yeah. to each other. You know, and that's our children. Children are looking at you too and seeing how you react in certain things. And as you know, when you're in the education area, you've got to be your role model. Mm. And people are watching you and looking and learning from you. There's been so much richness and wisdom uh, and so many things to think about. I know I always learn from you, Ani. And so I just want to thank you so much for your time and knowledge and being so generous with us today. Thanks. Oh, thank you, Marnie. And I'm, I'm really excited about the book, you know, you brought out. It's fantastic. So, um, and all the best. Thank you for listening.